This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Flutes Podcasts, hosted by Claire Southworth and me, Jean-Paul Wright. Instead of taking a summer break, and for those of you new to Talking Flutes, over the last few weeks we have been looking back to some of our popular pods, some recorded a long time ago. We've looked at fascinating and fun interviews with wonderful flute players and composers. We've heard Dr. Joe's podcasts on stress and mental well-being through to this final look-back pod when Claire reviews three of her wonderful flute pieces using her recordings to speak about each. Before we jump in, and a very big thank you from Claire and me to all of you who, after 170 podcasts, keep streaming and downloading Talking Flutes pods each week You know, we really rely on your feedback and it's so important. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Starting next week, we're really excited to tell you that we begin a brand new series with Claire and I answering some of the many flute questions you have been sending in over the summer. Please can you like, rate and comment on whatever podcast channel you are listening to this on as it kickstarts the algorithms to make talking flutes easier to find. And whilst we are a popular podcast... Some who are new to podcasts will need an algorithm helping hand to find us when they search. So, the first piece Claire will be speaking about is actually one where she feels a close connection with the composer, Daniel S. Wood. The piece is Daniel Wood's Vols Caprice. Now, I feel a real connection with Daniel Wood because he was also Professor of Flute at the Royal Academy of Music. Actually, he was also professor at the Royal College of Music at the same time, which was around 1910, and he played with the LSO, as I did for some years. The piece is about six minutes long and is in clearly defined sections. To help with musical interpretation, it's important to look at the structure of a piece. The easiest way is to use letters to identify the different sections. For example, the first section is A, and when new material is introduced, it's called B. This caprice is in the structure of A, B, A, C, A, B, coda. This structure is known as a rondo, which is a musical form with a recurring theme. So let's start by listening to the main sections. This is a recording with me and my accompanist Tim Carey, and here is the main theme, or section A. Thank you. 
then was section A with its very relaxed pace. Valse is the French word for waltz, which is the name for a dance in triple time, and caprice generally indicates a lively piece, often with a virtuosic style. Communicating the emotion and expression of music is obviously of the greatest importance, and popular in the 19th and early 20th centuries was programme music, that is, music which described and told a story. Now, whenever I played this caprice, I always made up a story to help the audience relate to the piece and hopefully enhance the enjoyment. So my story was first to set the scene, a London scene here, and to imagine Daniel Wood strolling along in a London park on his way to work, either at the conservatoires or with one of his orchestras. Plenty of time to look at the scenery, enjoy the sights. You can hear this in the introduction or section A, the waltz, a gentle, relaxed pace. Section B is the caprice. Maybe Daniel realises that he's taken so much time that he's late for work and quickly moves on. Let's listen to B. <laughs> heard the two main sections A and B, did you notice how much freedom or rubato is used? This style of music isn't rigid, the performers are in control to shape and lead the listener. Section C in our story is when Daniel takes a rest. This section is slower and quieter, very restful. Listen to the piano which is calmer and less busy, while the flute has longer phrases with much less movement to help communicate the change in mood. Mood is also created by the keys used. This piece uses three keys. It begins in D major for the waltz, then moves to G minor for the caprice, and then this calmer section is in A major before returning back to D major. Thank you. 
We have now listened to A, B and C sections. The only other new material is the coda, which ends the piece. So let's listen now to this wonderful Volskaprice in its entirety. I do hope you enjoyed this brief interpretation and hope it inspires you to play it for yourself and to also think about the structure and meanings of your own repertoire. Thank you.
What a wonderful piece that was, and I'm not surprised that Claire feels an affinity with Daniel Wood. The next piece Claire looks at is the Donizetti Sonata in C. Let me first give you a little bit of background information about Donizetti. During his career he wrote almost 70 operas, both comic and serious. Most well known are Anna Bellina and Lucia de Lammermoor. He, along with Rossini and Bellini, was a great exponent of the bel canto style. Now, bel canto is Italian for beautiful singing, and this style was prevalent from the mid-18th century to the early part of the 19th century. Main characteristic of this style was long, sustained vocal lines in order to highlight the beauty of the voice. Donizetti was a master of melody, drama and characterization. But by the 1830s, this light bel canto style was being replaced by heavier, more dramatic writing. In his earlier life, Donizetti also composed small instrumental works, and this sonata is a typical example. It is light and elegant, operatic in style, which basically means a drama set to music. And this sonata contains many of the techniques which would become the hallmarks of Donizetti's later works. The piece begins dramatically in the key of C minor, creating a mournful dark atmosphere with no hint of what is to come. Listen to the piano introduction, very simple and plaintive. When the flute enters, also listen to how the line of the melody is sustained without the rests intruding or dividing the phrase. The main melody begins with the upbeat to bar 9 and you can hear the tension leading to each bar line followed by a resolution until bar 14 where the emphasis goes through to the introduction of B flat lengthening the phrase to the conclusion of this section. 
From a playing perspective, the flute colour is light until the introduction of the B-flat, where I bring in a more harmonic sound or richer tone colour for the added dramatic effect. Then a dotted rhythm is introduced and the pitch rises with each step of the phrase, creating tension and increasing this heartfelt mood, eventually arriving at a dramatic top E-flat. And then you can feel the tension release in a falling scale. Listen to the emotion in the performance, enhanced by the breaths in true operatic and dramatic style. A dialogue then follows between flute and piano before the dramatic final chords, heralding something new. The piano rescues the serious introduction with a fanfare in C major, joined almost immediately by the flute. Phrasing is in short four-bar chunks. Listen to the tension building and then releasing. This is achieved by an increase in dynamic and in pitch. There then follows a series of struggles with rival keys before the introduction of the second melody. This is a complete contrast to the short, clipped, brighter initial first phrases. Now we have longer, smooth, elegant phrases first heard on piano and then repeated by the flute. The struggles with various keys continues, ending with a short cadenza, before the return of the C major allegro and the repeat of earlier motifs, but in different keys. The coda brings a triumphant return to C major. When learning a new piece, it is so important to firstly have some information about the background of the piece and the composer, so that you can make informed decisions about style and phrasing. Then it's helpful to roughly analyse the piece into sections and think about the different characters and moods that you can communicate. Isolate any technical passages that need work. There are some flamboyant semi-quaver phrases which can be tricky to play. As with any fast passages, first play as slowly as you need to, working on the quality of your sound and clarity of the articulation. Use different articulations and rhythms to help your practice and gradually increase your speed. Record yourself and listen back with a critical ear. Concentrate on communicating the emotion and character of the music. This is such expressive music, so beware of just playing notes and try and immerse yourself in the character and style and communicate that to your audience. Time now to listen through to this fabulous piece in its entirety. Only seven minutes long, but full of contrasts and emotions. This is from a CD of mine called Sonatas 
with my accompanist, Tim Carey. I hope you enjoy it.
Claire's final piece this week is The Fabulous In Island by Sir Hamilton Harty. When you're learning a piece, it's so important to try and understand the composer by listening and researching to learn as much as possible so that you have the tools with which to interpret their music. Now, I feel there are many connections, although loose ones, between me and Harty. He was born in 1879 and died in 1941 in Hove, Sussex, where I now live. In fact, there is a blue plaque on the wall of the house where he lived, worked and died. And it's just a few minutes from my house. I pass it almost every day. The house is in a beautiful tree-lined square called Brunswick and there are wonderful views across the square to the sea beyond. Very inspirational. Harty was a renowned accompanist and left Ireland for England in 1901 to pursue his career as an accompanist and conductor. He then developed his career to become one of the best conductors of his time, most famously for conducting the Halley Orchestra in Manchester, 1920-1933. The Halley was regarded as the best in the UK during his time with them. He was known as the Irish Toscanini with a taste for adventurous programming and introduced audiences to previously neglected works by Mahler, Shostakovich, Strauss and Walton. This then is another loose connection with me, as I lived, studied and worked in Manchester and played many times with the Halley Orchestra. There is also a strong connection with Geoffrey Gilbert, who was invited to join the Halley at the age of 16 to become principal flute by Hamilton Harty. Before that time, Geoffrey played first flute in a military band in Southport, where I was born, another connection. Geoffrey, as I'm sure many of you know, was England's most celebrated flutist in the 20th century, a teacher of William Bennett and James Galway. And here's another connection because I was lucky enough to have many inspirational lessons from Geoffrey. He had a very close relationship with Harty, and I have a quote from him which was published in The Gilbert Legacy by Angelita Floyd. This is what he said. Sir Hamilton Harty was conductor of the Halley Orchestra in Manchester when I joined them in 1930. Although at first he seemed rather austere and sometimes frightening with his volatile Irish changes of humour, I thought he was the finest orchestral trainer I have ever encountered. And I believe I learned more from him and the other older members of that fine orchestra during this period than at any other time in my orchestral career. So praise indeed. Harty was probably best known as a conductor and he didn't have a lot of time for composition, but he was an important and charismatic figure in the musical scene. He was almost entirely self-taught and wrote in a romantic style with a very clear traditional Irish voice. In Ireland was written in 1918, originally for flute and piano, but also arranged for flute, harp and orchestra. It's a freely constructed fantasy and has an evocative preface which reads, in a Dublin street at dusk, two wandering street musicians are playing. The piece is in recognisable sections, beginning with a dramatic introduction with long flowing lines, followed by the dancing musicians, leading into a vivace and coda. Let's have a listen to the drunken dance. And this is from one of my recordings with my accompanist Tim Carey. There's a lovely lilting rhythm characterised by emphasising weaker beats and the use of ornaments, grace notes and mordants. Mm -hmm. 
So that was the dance. The piece begins with piano playing stretched ascending broken chords with the instruction not too quick and with passion. When the flute enters, the writing is big and sustained, passionate and intense, ending with a short cadenza leading into the dance. There's a calmness here, plenty of time to take relaxed breaths and fully expand the sound. There are lots of loud dynamics, not forced, but expansive, warm and expressive. Let's take a listen. It's quite tricky to feel the rhythm in this first section, mainly because of the ties in the flute part. You need to count carefully so as not to be late off these ties. After the dance, there is a short lento with elements from the introduction and leading into a vivace, but not too quick. This section is highly articulated and begins quite low in pitch, so clarity is difficult. When you come across more challenging articulation passages, Think about how to make your practice effective. Always start slow, but add slurs to work first on tonal clarity and quality before you increase the speed. By slurring the phrases, you can also hear whether your fingers are working well and accurately. Change the rhythms and articulations to help your technique. Here it is. then leads into a slightly slower and more reflective section, using the melody of the dance, but more like a distant memory, hazy and calmer, with the melody switching from the flute to the piano, and dramatically then introduces the final vivace coda, which accelerates at speed towards the dramatic end. Time to hear the whole piece through. Only 6 minutes 40 seconds long, but packed with big expressive tunes, drunken dances, romantic interludes, and light, fast running sections, keeping the excitement to an exhausting finish.
Oh, there's been some wonderful music and gorgeous recordings by Claire to demonstrate the beautiful compositions this week. Please keep sending in your comments and messages to us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com or via our Facebook page at Talking Flutes. Additionally, you can contact Claire directly on Instagram and Twitter at Claire Flute, that's C-L-A-R-E, Flute, and me on IG, Instagram again, at TJ Flutes, and on Twitter, at Flute. So wishing you a wonderful week ahead, and may your low C, as always, be particularly in tune. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.